Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Guide to Existence. I'm your host, Rabbi G. Um, today, we're going to be discussing Parsha's Pekude, which is the last Parsha in the book of Exodus, the book of Shamos. And does anyone remember what the name, the word Shamos means? Names, excellent. This is the book of names in Hebrew. What is names? And we've talked about this in the past many times. The idea of a name is a name is your address. A name represents your essence, so to speak. And this is the story. This book is the story, according to Kabbalah, of God's name going out of Egypt. What do I mean by that? That a name in Kabbalah represents your expression in this world. You are not your name, but your name refers to what I can see about you. There's more to you than your name, but your name represents the role that you play in the world, the way that you manifest yourself. Really, another way of putting it is not, not name, but title. Your title. Right? I have many names. Rabbi, father, husband, son. These are all different roles that I play. These are all my names, so to speak. And God also has names. God has ten different names in the Torah. And each one represents a different manifestation of his expression in this world. A different way that God expresses himself. So why is this book called the Book of Names? Because this book is really the story of God being hidden in Egypt along with the Jewish people. And the journey and the mission of the Jewish people to reveal God to the world. Which culminates in this week's Parsha. How so? So we'll explain in a moment. We also want to point out that the in the Parsha of Shamos, we mentioned there's a lot of names. Mentioned the names of all the tribes of Jewish people. Moshe gets his name. And throughout this journey, so Moshe becomes the man of God who is revealing God to the Jewish people, the word of God to the Jewish people. And a few weeks ago, we essentially had this week's Parsha a few weeks ago. This week's Parsha, as was with last week's Parsha, is a complete repeat of three and four weeks ago. Complete repeat. Except that three and four weeks ago, we were commanded on how specifically to build the tabernacle, the Mishkan, the sanctuary, and all the vessels in the Mishkan. And all the clothing of the Kohanim of the priests who serve in the Mishkan. And in last week's Parsha and this week's Parsha, we actually build those things. But the Torah lists it all in exactly the same detail as when we were commanded previously. So is it repeated? It's complete repetition. So the Torah could have saved a lot of words. Now we know that the Torah does not like to waste words. In fact, the Talmud deduces whole lessons from extra words in the Torah. So what could the Torah have done to save 
over 200 verses. It could have just said, and Moshe did exactly as God commanded. To make matters worse, in this week's Parsha, throughout the Parsha, constantly, at the end of each thing that Moshe built, it says, Kasher Siva Shem as Moshe, just like God commanded Moshe. Just like God commanded Moshe. Just like God commanded Moshe. It says it 18 times, just like God commanded Moshe. It's redundant. Just say, and Moshe did, just like God commanded Moshe. And we'll save ourselves two chapters of the Torah. What was it? How is it written in the first way, where he just tells him what, what to do? Right. He's, he it just what, says... That's the only difference? That's the only, well, I mean, more or less. It's, I mean, again, there's slight other, other slight differences in the way it's phrased and stuff. But, like, yeah, this is what God commanded. Blah, 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 blah. Do this, 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 that, that. Right? What's interesting is that the last time we had this Parsha, when we talked about the clothing of the Kohanim, we mentioned that Moshe's name was absent from the Torah. That Parsha does not mention Moshe's name at all. This week's Parsha, where we go through the same exact thing, Moshe's name is from beginning to end. So again, what's the what's going on here? Book of Names. So, finally, um, there's a few other things of note to mention in the Parsha. Um, there's an interesting discussion. There's an interesting discussion at the beginning of the Parsha. It says, Rashi brings, so the person who was in charge of actually constructing and designing, putting together all the work of the Mishkan was someone named Betzalel. Which literally means Betzel Kel in the shadow of God. That's Betzel. He was the artist, the master craftsman, master artist. And there's an interesting discussion in from the Talmud that Rashi brings, which is that what order should things be built in the tabernacle? We have vessels, the menorah, the table, the um, the altar, and then we have the mishkan, which is the building, the structure, the tent. Which should be built first, the vessels or the tent? What do you say? The structure. Structure first, then stuff? Mm -hmm. Why? Because uh, the space isn't defined until you have the structure, and then everything in it will give it more purpose. Excellent. So Moshe commands, Rashi says, Betzalel. It says here, that, that Betzalel did everything that, that Hashem commanded Moshe. And Rashi points out, Ashetziva also Moshe in Kasivkan. Not that Moshe commanded him, but that Hashem commanded Moshe. Wouldn't it be easier to say that Betzal did what Moshe told him to do? Because Moshe was, of course, the conduit between God and Betzal. But it doesn't say that. It said that Betzal did everything that God commanded Moshe. And so from that point, the Talmud deduces that Moshe actually got things confused. Moshe told Betzal to 
first build the vessels and then build the building. And Batala said, that's not the way of the world. People first build a house and then they put the furniture in the house. If I were to build the furniture first, where am I going to put it? Okay, maybe we'll get ruined. But the truth is, is that this was a movable structure. This tent traveled with us. And every time we traveled, the vessels came out and were stored away and protected. So we could do that also before. So it's very interesting. And then Moshe said back to him, hey, you're right. That's what God told me to do. So what was what happened? Moshe forgot what God told him? Like... But it... But it but it's not, it can't be a game of telephone because he remembered, right? He, like, how did Moshe forget? He wasn't telling it to somebody else. God told him what to do, and Moshe chain came and switched it. Very strange. It's a very strange interaction. Like a mirror effect? Like, you know, you came and... Ah, wow, that's so interesting. So I always thought that might be part of the answer. But then, and then Moshe says to him, how, you must have, you figured it out. You're right. That's what I heard from, from God. And then, Amr lo Moshe, Moshe said to him, but sell kel ha'isa, you are in the shadow of God, which is his name. Because that's exactly what Hashem commanded me. Can't commanded me. First build the dwelling and then put the stuff inside. So there's a lot of commentary to try to understand what this is all about. Additionally, now, I'm, this is all stream of consciousness, I want you to know, because I do not have a unified field theory yet to this week's Parsha. So we'll see if something comes out of it. So I'll just throw out everything I got, and we'll see if we can weave it together on the spot, together. Um, the Parsha begins with something very interesting. This is the accounting. Pekude means an accounting of the Mishkan. The Mishkan of the Edis, the Mishkan of witness, of testimony. What is, many point out, why does it say, these are the accountings of the Mishkan of the Edis? It says, these are the accountings of the Mishkan, the Mishkan of the testimony, of the, of the witness. Why does it say Mishkan twice? So Rashi points out, again, from a Talmudic teaching, that the reason it says Mishkan twice is because the, the word Mishkan is related to the word Mashkon. Mashkon means a collateral. And it says Mishkan twice to make a reference to the two temples that will someday be destroyed as collateral for our sins. Or could it also reference the fact that it would have to be built more than once? Also, oh, you could say... You could say that it's going to be built more than once, but that's that's very interesting. That's a, that's a better, more positive teaching. But instead, it teaches that the two will be destroyed. I mean, you have to build them twice because one because they got destroyed, right? So it's not like a positive necessarily to rebuild. Jewish gilded at its finest. Excellent. Yeah, we 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 thrive on guilt. So. So what? And why is everything counted? We literally it begins with an, a reckoning, an accounting of all the gold and the silver and the precious stones and all the wool and all the all the different ingredients that went into building this thing. 
Why is everything counted, literally counted out? The amount of stuff that was brought. It's a point. It's a lesson. What kind of lesson? <laughs> oh, you're an accountant. Oh, you're an accountant. I am. Wow. Yes. So I'll tell you. I'll tell you a teach. It's a reminder. It's a lesson in terms of how you build something. Same thing with why. What you said earlier about the vessels when you build first. Why, why did Moshe forget what to say? Forget the order. It's because you're, you're teaching someone. You're showing the importance of each piece. Because if, if one piece is missing, then it's not complete. Uh, if, if any one ingredient is missing, it's not complete. It's, not complete. it's like teaching a kid. Very good. So, if I were to try to come up with a unified field theory here, I would propose that somehow all of this stuff has to do with the purpose of this book. This book that's complete, we're ending now, the book of Shamos, the book of Exodus, the book of names. So what's the purpose of the Exodus? What was the purpose of all of this? What was the purpose of the Exodus? In Egypt, find ourselves and get the Torah? Ah, get the Torah. It's not enough to leave Egypt. Freedom from slavery numerically equals what number? Scale of 1 to 10. What's freedom? Most people think we're celebrating freedom. Freedom's a great thing. Let's celebrate. No, not true. You're celebrating finding yourself in the Ah, freedom is worth zero. Freedom is zero. Slavery is negative 10. Freedom is zero. Freedom means now you have a chance to do something positive. It's not enough to get out of slavery. We're very mistaken to think that by abolishing slavery, you free the slaves. That's incorrect. Abolishing slavery creates an empty people. And I'm not, never mind. Um, the, the freed slaves will only truly be free when they find a purpose for their freedom. Says the Talmud, a person is only free. The only free person is someone who enslaves themselves to Torah. Why? Because you're free from Egypt, but then what? In the words of Bob Dylan, you got to serve somebody. Everybody has to serve somebody. What do I mean by that? If you're not a slave to uh, your boss or to Paro in Egypt, who are you a slave to? Or what are you a slave to? Your desires, your passions, your negative emotions, your, your hunger, your phone. Your spouse. Not having a physical brick and mortar slave master, no pun intended, is um, is not the only type of slavery. Every human being is a slave unless they're free. And what does it mean to be free? It means to be enslaved to something of your choosing. Enslaved to something which enables you to free your mind and free yourself from the shackles of your animalistic desires which control you most of the time. Most people are slaves. Slaves to their anger, they're slaves to their addictions, slaves to their hunger. We're all addicted to one thing or another. So 
Freedom is breaking out of addiction. That's what it means that there's no free person other than someone who is enslaved or really doesn't say enslaved. It says involved in learning Torah because Torah teaches you to overcome your animalistic desires and channel it towards something greater. True freedom is not not having a master. True freedom is having a purpose and then subjugating everything else in your life to that purpose. So I have a question. Please. Something you said earlier, it kind of links. So in Jewish tradition, you name a child after someone. Usually, yeah. Doesn't that then tie them to that person? So you're, in a, not, I don't want to say a slave to your name, but you're always trying to live up to who you name after. Right. We we should always be trying to live up. I mean, hopefully the people we're named after are worthy of being of lived up to. But that's a great thing too, because that's not slavery. See, slavery is when you're not trying to live up to your name sake. Okay. Freedom is when you are clear of what you're trying to live up to, and then you overcome all other impediments and and go towards that goal so the mission of the exodus is to give the jewish people the torah and the mission of the torah is well what what it just anything what's our goal what's the goal of the torah what is the torah's vision to heal the world and how do we do that? Unity. Okay, those are good words, but 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 the unity one fits a little better. Um, Tikkun Olam is a very uh, abused word. It's a Kabbalistic concept which was kidnapped by the Reform Movement and usually means save the whales, but that's not what it means in Kabbalah, right? So. It's definitely it's a nice thing to save the whales. It's good to volunteer for all sorts of different organizations, but that's not the pure definition of what Tikkunolam means. Tikkunolam means to reveal the godliness that is hidden in the broken pieces of the world. Tikkunolam means to fix the world. How do we fix the world? By getting rid of the multiplicity and revealing the unity. Like you said, Steph. Steph comes to every every class, as so she knows. Um, so the goal of the Torah is to reveal God in the world. That's our mission. That's our raisend etra. That is our mission, is that we should be God's emissaries in the world to reveal God in the physical world, to show that there is absolute actual unity in the brokenness of this world of multiplicity. So that's the final point in this week's Parsha. Moshe finally took all these pieces, all these parts, put them together. They were each counted. They were each separate, distinct entities, and then they were woven together in a masterpiece. And in the end, once the Mishkan was built and constructed, it says the glory of God appeared and filled the tabernacle. And this is now 
the conclusion of the book of, of Shamos, of names, because God's presence was hidden in Egypt when we were in exile in Egypt. The Zohar says that so too was the power of expression hidden in Egypt. And now comes out the expression, the, the, what's called the Shekhinah, the divine presence now becomes revealed in the world through the Jewish people in this tabernacle, in this, in this Mishkan. The word Mishkan literally means dwelling place. That God can dwell. The word Shekhinah is the, the presence of God that dwells. The word Shochen is Mishkan. Same word means the presence of God that dwells in the earth, dwells with us, that God should be revealed. So perhaps we can say that the reason that Moses' name is mentioned again and again in this week's Parsha is because this is the perfection and completion of Moshe's task. Now, it's not there. We're not done yet. The goal is that we should now enter into the land of Israel three days later. That was the goal. The goal is we should finish building the Mishkan, and then we should all enter into the land of Israel and have now not only this portable sanctuary, but we should now have a, a home base with which we can now shine that message to the world. Right? But we, it didn't happen like that. History took another turn. We spent 40 years in the desert and et cetera, et cetera. And there's another three books. Had everything gone as planned, there'd only be one more book of the Torah. <laughs> right? So, so um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, it's actually true. It's kind of true. There'd be really one more book with a little bit from uh, from Numbers, uh, Bamidbar, and then we entered the land of Israel. So, that this week's Parsha is bringing out the completion of Moshe's mission. And Moshe is now mentioned as, Moshe, as God commanded Moshe, as God commanded Moshe, as God commanded Moshe, because it's showing that, like you said, that he completed his job. It was done to perfection. And he was an intrinsic part in this process. Um, I'm sure there's more to say there. Let's try to just say something about the and and it's interesting that the temple will someday be destroyed. Right? The temple that this is a prototype for the temple. Then there's going to be a temple and then there's going to be another temple and already it's already like built into the process that this thing's not going to last. Why? Why is this why are we being told this tabernacle it's so important it's the goal of everything we got out of Egypt for this thing and you know what it's going to be destroyed. Okay, but why? Why is it going to be destroyed? Because God's presence can't be contained within one structure. Ah, that's interesting. You're saying so it's ideal that it should be destroyed? Not ideal, but that it should be repeated. Like, it should be one. Like, why, why is there only one place that, that this would exist, well, right? Well, the whole idea of one temple is that it's one meeting place where the Jewish people can come together around that focal point of serving one God, right? Yes, but if the, like, I guess so this is like ancient times versus today, like there's obviously more than one population, the world is a lot bigger, there's more than just the desert. Um, if you build more than one, there's more than one place that folks can come, different people can but, come. But all those temples were built in one place at one time. It's not like they coexisted. <laughs> well, I, I would say that 
going to, people, I mean, in a sense, once they got destroyed, you people spread out. Right. So, so then they have to come back together. But, so, so in order, yeah, you spread out across the world, and in a way, you teach, us, teach the Torah. You, you send the message of God throughout the world, because now our people are throughout the world. So it's interesting. The the um, the Orachim, great Kabbalist, who I mention often, says that had we never sinned, the Jewish people, had the Jewish people stayed on the spiritual level we were supposed to be on, we would have built the temple in Jerusalem and then talking about Tikkun Olam. So what is Tikkun Olam? Tikkun, the idea of Tikkun Olam is that there are sparks of divine presence that are hidden throughout the world. They're called Netzotzes Hakadusha. They're branches and sparks of holiness. And our job is to pick up those sparks. That's Tikkun Olam. It's to rebuild the world by finding the pieces of God in every experience and every place in the world. That's one of the reasons why we travel through the desert, picking up sparks, picking up lost souls that were hidden in the, in, in the, in the desert. And that's what we do around the world. The Jewish people are scattered around the world. We go to random places. We take those good things. We go to Ukraine. We're in Ukraine for a few hundred years. We take the good qualities out of Ukraine. We take the spiritual out of Ukraine. There's a famous story. The Baal Shem Tov one time was walking with his students, and uh, they found themselves lost in the woods. And they drank some water. And the Baal Shem Tov says, that's why we were here, so we can make a blessing on water in this place. Because from the beginning of time, there were some pieces of holiness waiting in this place to be elevated through someone making a blessing in this place. So food, the eating of food, the utilizing of the world is meant to be uplifted through our mitzvahs. That's the goal of, of mitzvahs, is to uplift the world, to find the hidden spirituality in every experience. Right? That's what we do when we eat. We take food, which is completely mundane, and we connect to the spirituality in that food. That's why it gives us life. Food is an intrinsic part of our, our, our spiritual existence because we need the spirituality that's in that food. That's why it's able to pick us up and, and, and revitalize and energize us. So the Orachim says, had we never sinned, we would not have to have traveled in the world to do that. Instead, we would have been like a magnet and all the sparks of holiness would have come to us in Israel. Because we were exiled, the, because we fell from that level, now we have to go out and find those sparks of holiness in the world. But so wh why are we being told here foreshadowing the eventual destruction of the temple is maybe along the lines of what you're saying is that Hashem is telling Moshe, you should know it's, it's very important to build a place for me to be revealed. But first of all, that's only going to work if you guys do what you're supposed to do. You got to keep your side of the bargain if you want me to live with you. Right, as soon as you guys don't behave, uh, I'm out of here. Right, but number two is perhaps to remember that the ultimate goal is that there shouldn't be a tabernacle. And we talked about this. There's a debate amongst the commentaries if the tabernacle was commanded before the sin of the golden calf or only after the sin of the golden calf. According to Rashi and others, it was only after the sin of the golden calf. Before the sin of the golden calf, we didn't need a temple. We were a temple, each and every one of us. That's the ultimate goal is that God should dwell in us. The Ramban Nachmanides argues and he says, no, there was always a, an intention of building a tabernacle. And it was the goal of the tabernacle was to hold on to the inspiration of Mount Sinai. But not to say, even according to him, 
that you need a temple. What we need. The concept of it is to reveal God to the world, but if you're in the desert where you know everyone's just kind of wandering, or maybe it was before they're wandering, but they're there. Remember, there was one part we talked about a couple weeks ago where the Jewish people agreed to to follow the rules before they knew what the rules were. Right. The Torah, like they yeah. Blindly agreed. Was it more to define or put structure around everything that they were agreeing to? The temp, the temp, the idea of a te- of a temple. Yeah. Well. I mean, there there are a lot of rules that have to do with the temple, right? But there are a lot of rules that don't have to do with the temple, also. So, yeah. But I would also think, like, if you don't need a temple, if we stayed as spiritual as we once were, you don't need a temple because then Hashem, you you recognize that Hashem is in with all of us. Every piece of being is connected to Hashem, so there's no need for a temple. Right. So maybe. Well, it, you can comprehend in some way, because if you think about well, the best metaphor I have, and there might be even better metaphors now with certain modern technologies, a friend of mine says that through pixels, we can understand it even better, but um, LED pixels, I think. But simply put, white light has within it all the parts of the colors of the rainbow, but they're all blended together in complete unity that they don't. Neither one, they all balance each other out. So you don't see any of them. So the way we reveal God in the world is by all of us coming together as one. And literally the, the, the Mishkan is an embodiment of that. We have all these parts and pieces that are counted. They're all separate. They're all distinct. And yet they come together. Once they come together in the pr- proper order, suddenly God is revealed. That's the exact metaphor. So why does it start out telling us that the temple is going to be destroyed because Hashem's saying, ultimately, you don't need this. Phase for hist in history, we're going to need it. We're going to need a temple, but ultimately, the goal is to reveal me everywhere. And perhaps that's why the temple is destroyed because Hashem wants us to know that He's in every place in the world and in every experience. So, perhaps, and again. Not thought out. So just stream of consciousness, speak, thinking out loud. Moshe thinks that the first thing we do is build the vessels and then build the tabernacle. Why? Because, well, that's kind of what happens here. We build the tabernacle and then God's presence descends. So you build these vessels and then you build the tabernacle. Which is the goal? The goal is that Hashem's Presence should descend. What's the purpose of the vessels? The the big picture that Hashem should descend on us. So Moshe sees it as focused on the ultimate picture. But, but Saul, on the other hand, says, no, first you have to build the structure. First you have to start with the big picture. And then you have to go to the details. All right? Then you have to, you have to first build the Mishkan, which is this this thing that surrounds us that enables the divine presence to come into us. And then we work on building the individual parts and pieces in which the work gets done. I'm not sure. But I can tell you this. Perhaps, and, and, and this this will be our, our message for this week. And I apologize for the uh, 
the incoherent message. But the the goal of this book is that God should be revealed in the world. That's the goal of this book, from the Exodus of Egypt to the giving of the Torah to now the building of the Mishkan. And page after page after page is devoted to the nitty-gritty details of how to build the thing. What in the world? It's it's so ad nauseum, redundant. Just tell me that Moshe did just what God said. The answer is, perhaps, is that there's there's two very different realities that took place between a few weeks ago and this week's parsha. A few weeks ago, God was commanding Moshe. Where was that taking place? Taking place in some spiritual reality. Moshe is giving over this theoretical design on Mount Sinai. This week's parsha takes place on the ground, in real life. The building of the vessel, the building of this this project. That life, and Jewish life especially, is not engaged on the mountaintop. Real Jewish life takes place in the desert. Well, maybe desert's the wrong metaphor. Desert has different connotations. In the marketplace. You know, my, my high school quote was Zen proverb. Before enlightenment, chopping wood, carrying water. After enlightenment, chopping wood, carrying water. That was my high school quote. So, um, but that's really the Jewish idea is that the main work of our life is the building of the vessels, the building of the tabernacle, the nitty-gritty, the day-in, day-out. Where does marriage take place? Is it the romantic getaways? Well, you guys are still in your first year. But most of marriage after the first year is about laundry, dishes, bills, tuition, kids. I hope not. Not too fast. You don't want to rush it. But most of marriage takes place in the nitty-gritty details, in the numbers, in the accounting. Is that the goal of marriage? Absolutely not. The goal of marriage is that the divine presence should dwell between you, between husband and wife. It says man and woman, when there's peace between them, Hashem is with them. But the way you build that is through the nitty-gritty details. right? Most of Judaism does not take place on the mountaintop in meditation and incredible ecstatic experience. Is that part and parcel? It's essential. It's important. But what's the goal? To bring that experience into the nitty-gritty, into the day-in, day-out. How do you conduct your life? How do you engage in business? That's the goal of the Torah. And that's the ultimate goal of how we reveal God to the world. The tabernacle is an essential part of Jewish life. We want one central location of spirituality where God is real. That's like your wedding day. That's capturing the light and the inspiration of Mount Sinai. But what do we do the rest of our life? Is we get away from that. We go out into the world and we're busy farming and we're busy engaging and we're busy working and running a family. And all of that is an extension of the central heart and soul of the Jewish people, which is the tabernacle. When we lose the Mishkan, we still have to engage in the nitty-gritty. We still have to engage in revealing God in the world. We might not have that central part to go back to and to get inspired, but we still have our, our job, which is to find God in the world. And that was our job much more. How long do we have a temple? 
at the end of the day, a few hundred years. How long have we not had a temple? Thousands of years. Two thousand years. So this is the majority of our history is, is, is the latter. Now, it would, it's our goal and we want, we put hope and pray that the temple will be rebuilt because we want that central place to return for our family reunion three times a year where the entire Jewish people can come back together and connect in a more tangible way to the creator in a more spiritually and open revealed way. But that doesn't take away of what our mission is as a people, as a nation, is the is the latter, is the work, the work which takes place in the details. I think that's that's the message of the book of names and of this week's parsha and the details is that is the goal to have this spiritual experience and then to build the vessels. Or is it to build the vessels and that leads to a spiritual experience? And the answer is that they're both true. They're both correct. And different times in our history invoke different different angles of approach. Do you first get inspired and then go and do the work? Or do you do the work and that leads to the inspiration? So ultimately right now without a temple, our job, is to go out and do the work. That means refine our personality, work on our character traits, learn to be less selfish, less animalistic. Don't let food control you. Don't let other desires control you. Don't let money control you. Learn to conduct yourself properly in business. Learn to have a proper marriage and a healthy marriage. Learn the details that's why there's such an emphasis on learning Talmud. But the goal is not that we should be experts in Talmud. The goal is that through refining ourselves and building that vessel, then the light should descend upon us. And that was really Moshe's approach, is that we build the vessels and then we build the Mishkan. Mishkan is the dwelling place. The divine presence then comes down. But Tal said, no, no, first we need the inspiration. We're not on your level, Moshe. First we need the inspiration, and then we go and we do the work. So either way, we should be blessed to be inspired in the details of life. That's my message for this week, and I hope it was half coherent. Looking forward to... Seeing you all next week as we begin a brand new book of the Torah, the book of numbers. Oh, more details. Stay tuned.